Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. I am the best in the world at what I do. Give me the microphone and go away. The best in pro wrestling talk. And that's the bottom line. This right here is the future of wrestling. And it begins now. Can you dig it? Good evening, everybody. You have tuned in to the Ken Reedy Show. The best in pro wrestling talk. Thank you all for tuning in tonight on this sweltering Sunday evening, at least here in in the Northeast. It is hot out today. I hope you all found some way to cool off, and I hope you're inside now enjoying the AC, maybe having a cocktail or two, and enjoying some fun wrestling talk tonight. As we're going to go back in time, we're going to be talking about uh, famous moments that have happened around July 4th, uh, Independence Day moments. So we're going to go back in time and, and talk about some historical stuff. Head on over to the Facebook page, facebook.com slash The Ken Reedy Show. Right now, I have a post up there, favorite Independence Day wrestling moments. You got some stuff. We're kind of flying by the seat of our pants tonight. We have some moments we're going to pull up. But, hell, man, if someone posts something on the Facebook page that piques our interest, maybe we'll just – we'll swerve you, man. And we'll list you. Maybe we'll pull that up and, and watch that. But it's all going to be it's going to be a watch-along kind of episode tonight. So I'm looking forward to this. So like I said, check out the Facebook page. Again, facebook.com slash The Ken Reedy Show. You can also check us out on Twitter. Our Twitter handle is at The Ken Reedy Show. Check us out over there. We already got a tweet over there as far as Independence Day moments. And one of uh, our fans actually tweeted that his favorite Independence Day moment was when Yoko Zuno was slammed on the Intrepid. Maybe we'll get to that moment tonight. Who knows? Suspense. Ooh. But that is a great Independence Day moment. He tweeted us over there. If you want to tweet us some of your favorite Independence Day wrestling moments, you can tweet us over there. Again, our handle is at the Ken Reedy Show. And you can check out our website. The website is thekenreedyshow.com. Lots of stuff over there. You can also listen to the show on thekenreedyshow.com. If you're listening to us live, live tonight, Give us a call. 347-838-9815 is the number to call. If you're not going to tweet us and you're not going to Facebook us, 
give us a call. Let us know your favorite Independence Day wrestling moments. Um, let us know what you think of the ones of, uh, that we're covering here tonight. Um, give us a call. If you're listening to us, pre-recorded, you're listening to us on the fine B-plus players radio network, the brainchild of one Mr. Mark Adam Haggerty. Uh, we're on there with a lot of great shows. Check us out over there. If you didn't get to listen to us live, listen to us on the B-plus players radio network. Without further ado, as we stroll down history lane, how can we how can we do anything as far as history without the master historian himself, my tag team partner on the line from sweltering Connecticut, Dave? How you doing this evening? Dude, you said sweltering. I'm sweating like R. Kelly at recess right now. It's so fucking hot here. <laughs> it is brutal, but it's 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 just brutal. Let's just put it that way. But I'm looking forward to tonight. It's summer. You know, summertime and the living isn't easy. But it's easy enough to listen to this show and do a watch along on favorite Independence Day wrestling moments here on the Ken Reedy Show. I'm pumped. I'm psyched as usual. Thank you for the warm introduction. I'm glad to be here. Let's get into it. And dude, I am so pumped for tonight because, and we talked a little bit on the pre-show, but just let everyone know, man. And you know it, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners know it that in life, in general, you build a home, and you're happy to to live in that home and live in that house, man. But sometimes home ownership is a pain in the ass. And, you know, we had, we had a flooded basement not too long ago. We kind of waited some time to do some decorating because that's a chunk of change. We go out, we find like, all right, we're doing all right financially. Let's buy a bar. So we start decorating the basement. We buy this nice bar with this marble top and, and six stools. And we're really ready to decorate the basement. We put out a little bit of money there. Then all of a sudden this week, big storm, huge branch falls in our yard. We need to have someone come in. And clean that up. We have like a, a big fuse, a fuse blew, and we couldn't reset the fuse. We had to have an electrician come in, find out the fuse is blown because the filter motor for the pool, that motor blew as well. Had to go out, and so we added. We got to get someone to get the tree. We had to bring in an electrician. We had to go buy another pump for the for the pool filter. And obviously, you know, in this sort of weather, when the the pool filter isn't running, even for a couple days, or what happens? Oh, the water turns green. Can't add chemicals unless the filter's on, so got to get a new filter. So I'm out in the 100-degree heat today trying to hook up the new pump to the filter. Ah, you know, I am just so happy tonight to kind of close the door, head into the, the Ken Reedy Show studio sanctuary, and just put that all aside for at least the time being and kind of talk about some pro wrestling. This, it's escapism. That's what wrestling is all about, is being able to have some fun, get away from the, the stuff that's stressing you out. And, man, like, I'm just happy to be in my, my little hovel right now, the, the Ken Reedy Show Studios, and uh, it's a little piece of paradise right now after the, the week we've had. Um, so let's get into it. You know what, Dave? I had to, you know, we, I didn't touch base you on this, but I wanted to bring this up, and I'd forgotten in the pre-show meeting. But when we did our show a few weeks back about best promos ever, and, and it's funny, you guys, you know, we've kind of been recently doing some special episodes and changing the format. Tonight we're going back in time, July, Independence Day kind of stuff. Um, but you know, like, honestly, like right now I find myself, you know, when I was a wrestling fan in the early nineties, I really was disinterested in the product. And it was only until Hulk Hogan turned and formed the NWO that I got back into pro wrestling. And, and I kind of feel like that now, um, I'm just not into the current product. I'm enjoying these, these episodes and going back into yesteryear. And one of the things as I was, I was watching 
um, recently. Oh, and producer Michelle just like added, but yeah, we also had a plumbing issue this week. Forgot about that. Had to have a plumber come in because when we flushed the toilet, it sounded like the house was taking off. So we had to get that fixed as well. So <laughs> producer Michelle, I had forgotten about that. Uh, so yeah, it's been quite a week. Yeah, it was amazing. It was like any water you used in the house, like you flush the toilet, and all of a sudden the house like. What what is that? So yeah, so we did have a plumbing issue as well. Thank you, producer Michelle, for giving us that tidbit as well. But anyway, we did our best promo episode a few weeks back, and I'm really loving like doing this history thing and going back in time. But you know, and and it's kind of inspired me to to continue to go back and watch things from yesteryear and everything. And I don't know what I would knock off. Um, my promo list because when you have your top 10, like you, you got to knock something off to add one. And I already had two tied from Roddy Piper, but Dave, do you remember the promo that Piper cut before WrestleMania 25 uh, in Jericho's face talking about like, you know, what he's been through as, as a wrestler and just the uh, old school is cool. Um, oh my God. Like I watched it this week, man. And, I, and again, I don't know what I'd knock off my list, but that's why, to me, Piper is, for me, he's the best ever on the stick. Um, man, I, I mean, I was starting to get choked up watching the promo. Again, I'm kind of blindsiding you. I, I'm sure you, being the historian you are, probably do remember it. But um, if you don't, cool. But do you remember that promo pre-WrestleMania 25? I was just so blown away. that I was like, wow, that's another, you know, when you start looking at history and you start doing shows like this, you realize you may have missed one. And that promo, to me, was unbelievable. Um, I vaguely remember like when you just, you know, mentioned the verbiage old school is cool. Um, I don't remember though, was, was, was Snooka and Slayer and, uh, and Steamboat, were they somehow involved in that at, at some point in that promo or is it just Piper and Jericho face to face? Cause from what I remember in the buildup, I remember Jericho kind of picked apart each one of those guys each week on their own. And then at some point they all banded together and went after Jericho to, to eventually set up the match, but I, I vaguely remember it. It's funny that you mentioned, you know, Piper. There was one Piper promo that I almost put on my top five when we did these, uh, you know, like the, the the list show a few weeks ago, and it was the promo that he cut when he made his WCW debut when he confronted Hogan at Halloween Havoc, and all the 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 the, the backstage verbiage and and innuendo that was, uh, you know, brought forth in that promo. I, it really grabbed me at that time when I was a kid. Not, that was one of the promos that almost made my list. But as far as the one you're mentioning here, I vaguely remember. And that's something that, you know, might impress you that I vaguely remember stuff like this when it comes to wrestling history. Yeah, that's right. Because it was one of those things that I had kind of forgotten when I watched it again. And you guys, you know, as we're talking about this, um, I am actually going to throw this promo up on the Facebook page right now. Check it out. Um, again, it's one of those things where, you know, when you think about Roddy Piper and, and how amazing um, he was, you know, just a tremendous talent, uh, especially on the mic. Um, this, to me, is one of his best. And the thing with Piper, it's like, you know, you could probably go and, and, and pick, like, you know, have a top ten list of, like, only Piper promos, and it'd probably be, you know, legitimate, uh, just amazing. So check it out. I'm going to throw it up on the Facebook page. But tonight's episode, we are doing, uh, we're doing a greatest Independence Day kind of moments, or not really, we're doing some watch-alongs, and one of the things, you know, this was 
uh, Dave, you had this idea of doing kind of a watch along. And again, um, you know, I think we're both kind of in the same boat, not being grabbed right now by the, the current product. And so enjoying these um, strolls down memory lane. So one of the things we thought we would look at, we're going to go back all the way to 1987. And again, Dave, this, this was your idea. You wanted to give this a watch. And I don't know if you gave it a watch. I figured I'm going to watch along like now on the show. I don't remember the last time I've watched this match. We're going to watch War Games, July 4th, 1987. Pretty pumped to watch this, Dave. Yeah, I'm uh, pretty excited myself. I did not watch this ahead of time. I did not take notes like I did the last time when we did the Judgment Day watch along. So I'm going to go cold turkey with you and watch it and give everyone our genuine reactions on what we're seeing in front of us here. The very first, the inaugural War Games from July 4th, 1987, the Great American Bash, the Omni in Atlanta. Uh, For those of you that are listening right now or listening pre-recorded, if you go to the WWE Network, Go to the collections section and click on the War Games collection. You will find July 4th, 1987, War Games, the Four Horsemen against the Superpowers. Yeah, so that's what we're going we're gonna to do a watch along right now. So if you guys are ready, like go to the W. We'll give you a couple seconds right now to go to the WWE Network to pull it up. If, yeah, if you're watching, if you're listening to us pre-recorded, you can just pause now, find it, and then press play again. Um, for you guys, just so you know, the, the Piper promo is up on the Facebook page. Again, it's facebook.com slash the Ken Reedy show, facebook.com slash the Ken Reedy show. So if you want to check out that promo at some point, Roddy Piper and Chris Jericho. But right now we're going to give you a bit of a countdown. We got it queued up. Right now we have the War Games queued up. It's literally like three seconds in. It's after you, you get the, uh, you know, this is rated whatever for violence. What is it? TV 14 or do whatever it is. So. It's rated for violence, which is what we love because we're bloodthirsty bastards. And so I hope you got it all called up in war games, July 4th, 1987, the four horsemen battle, the road warriors, Nikita Kola, Paul Ellering and dusty Rhodes in the inaugural war games in five, four, three, two, one. And from what we can tell here, from what we can tell here that this match is currently in progress right now. It looks like Dusty and Arn started the match and Tully came in as the horseman won the coin toss because the heels always win the coin toss in war games. And uh, this is when they were really uh, starting to build the heat in this match, so to speak. Little double team action on Dusty. And I, I just, you know, it, and again, like, this is one of those things where maybe it's, oh, God. Look at J.J. Dillon, a former guest of the Ken Reedy show. Uh, but, it, you know, it's just, it's amazing, though, when you when you think about wrestling, um, you know, today versus yesteryear. And, and these guys, I mean, right now, three of the most brilliant competitors uh, in ring and out. And then we got Ric Flair outside the, the ring there. Um but just telling a story, keeping it simple, telling a story, good guys versus bad guys, crowd obviously behind Dusty, Dusty trying to fight his way out of it. Oh, they're going to work on that knee. Poor Dusty. God, look at like just the level of talent. That's awesome. Yeah, something else with this, with this match. And you know what the funny thing is about this is that, you know, and this was, 
innovative back then. This match headlined the Great American Bash tour. Before the Great American Bash was ever a, a, a televised, you know, pay-per-view, this headlined, like, I think, like 30 or 40 nights in a row in a summer tour. And so you, you got to witness war games pretty much all summer long if you were, you know, a, a, a traveling wrestling fan going to all these matches, going to all these shows. Um, which is something that you obviously don't see in today's current era of uh, wrestling, where you see a match of this magnitude, a gimmick match like this, uh, headline house shows. House shows are pretty standard to make sure that the guys, you know, are are in shape and get good timing with their with, with the guys they're working with on TV. But you know, thirty or forty nights of this, some serious injuries, um, and could potentially, uh, you know disrupt some things creatively and you mentioned him earlier jj dylan on this show he describes the shoulder injury that took place during this war games match with the road warriors which you'll see later on uh when when he uh, makes his way into the match but uh yeah this is something that you you was innovative back then from a standpoint where you saw this kind of match you know headline a house show but you definitely don't see this nowadays no, you know, and it's interesting because, you know, and, and I know Pritchard has said this at times, uh, different wrestlers in history, and, you know, sometimes today's uh, product, you know, some of these athletes are almost too athletic and too polished, so it doesn't look like a real fight. And these guys, again, right now you got brilliant guys in that ring, you know, some guys that, that you know, you, you can make the case that no one's done it better, and yet they look like they're in a fight. You know, the moves are not, as, as smooth and polished, they look like they're fighting. It, it's kind of rough around the edges. These guys are in a steel cage, and, and it looks like they're in a brawl. And I think that adds to, to the realism, you know, the, and, and the blood also, and, and keeping the moves simple. Um, you know, it's like they're not asking someone to lay down for an hour so they can get up on the top rope and, and, and do some crazy move off the top. It's just they're using the cage. The cage is another character in this. Um, and, and it's just, you get that sense of this being a, a vicious, vicious matchup and, and being a fight. Um, you know, this is kind of the, the stuff that, that to me, I feel like, <laughs> woo, Ric Flair, <laughs> Ric Flair with the patented hip thrust. How many, but how many women did Ric Flair? How many Rick? How many women did Rick Flair, Rick Flair slay on that Great American Bash tour in the, those thirty or forty <laughs> nights in nineteen eighty-seven? But see, this is and this goes to like you know. Now I'm getting a, like I'm I'm way too much with the whole like new school versus old school. But like again, like how much does a little bit of blood kind of just add to to this as opposed to overcomplicating your move set? Um, these guys are out there telling a story right now. Rick Flair with the low blow. Yeah, this is good stuff. What's interesting about this uh, about this match is, is that, like you had said, you know, the storytelling and sometimes the guys are too athletic. We saw if if you went back and watched uh, the NXT War Games when they when WWE brought the War Games back earlier this year and they kind of modified the concept a little bit. They had three teams with teams of three, and there was no top on the cage. And it made for, you know, guys being able to do things more athletically with the open space in both cages. Um, definitely 
if you went back and watched that match from last year and then obviously the earlier war games like this one that we're currently watching, I would have to say both do both matches do kind of stand the test of time. I mean, the current war games, it did, it, it, it did the concept justice. Um, and it, and it helped kind of modernize the, the war games of today in WWE. We've only seen one and I'm assuming that there will be more to come in the years to come. But by the same token, this current one, the one that we're watching right now from July 4th, 1987 definitely very realistic for the time in professional wrestling with the way that the guys tell stories and the psychology and and, and, and things of that nature. So, I mean, I, the point I'm trying to get at is that I feel like the two different versions of the war games then and now kind of, they complement each other from like a psychology and a, and a storytelling standpoint. Yeah, well, which is good. I mean, you know, I, I do feel like nowadays in wrestling, there's a lot of the psychology is missing. And that, that's part of I think where, you know, I have a, you know, my fandom is kind of waning a bit. You know, this is, again, I kind of, as much as, you know, you hear the whole, you know, we're going to run with shades of gray and it's not as simple as good guy versus bad guy, but, but I kind of did good guy versus bad guy. I kind of like watching this and you clearly know <laughs> good flair. Flair is just absolutely <laughs> brilliant. No! I mean, just, you know, it's run, amazing yeah. because when you look at, you know, and even matches, and there's the Flair flop. You know, and, and that's the thing where, like, Flair was brilliant at and, and Flair being able to, to work for, you know, have these long marathon matches. And all these guys, you know, they, you know, were able to work in, like, when they, they rested in spots and, and really worked on telling that story. So it wasn't, uh, you know, you didn't have, to, I mean, it's amazing when you think about wrestlers today and, you know, the, the pace that a lot of these guys wrestle at, oh, what a power slam. And, um, you know, it's tough to keep that up for 20 minutes, a half hour. Um, it's amazing just watching these guys and how, and how they pace this match, how they put the match together. Um, another low blow from the dirtiest player in the game, Ric Flair. Dusty finally trying to work his way back up to his feet, bleeding profusely from the top of the head. Luger just cleaning house. Luger's going to be quite the staple of tonight's show. Can't remember many times we focused a, a, a show solely on uh, on Lex Luger, and these are two important moments that he's a part of, you know, in the history of wrestling. With with this probably being the one that is often forgotten about in many ways. Um, people probably look at the, the 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 slam on the Intrepid with Yokozuna as the moment he's most remembered for. Um, but his stuff in the Horseman, growing up, I remember as a kid, like that was when I first was introduced to Lex Luger, and that was the stuff that um, really made me become a fan of him per se. Uh, he was he was a different kind of wrestler in that group uh, with Flair, Arn, and Tully being the more polished, and he was just the uh, he was just you know the, the the body with the good looks that you know kind of was the muscle of the group. And that's what kind of attracted me to him, that he stood out so well from those guys. Um, and, and it's a good play. I mean, for, you know, I was never really a big Luger guy, a Luger fan, but it, it's a good role for him being around, you know, guys as, as talented as, as Tully and, and Rick and Arn and, and being definitively the muscle of, of that group. It, it's just a role that, 
really worked for him, almost like the the, the bouncer for the Four Horsemen. Um, you know, it just worked for him. Uh, Look at Hawk. Hawk's just a monster. Cleaning house. Cleaning house. And it's quite. Cool, I, like, I think we're both enamored by just watching this. So, like every so often, if there's an awkward silence, it's not that we we like we went off the air or anything. We're just enjoying watching this match. But what I, I love about, I mean, about the the War Games concept so much is that the, the visual of it. Like when I was a kid, I was I, I didn't watch this match as it happened. I actually watched it at a video store. I had gotten the video of this match. Back, to, back when video stores and, and wrestling tapes were so popular. And the visual of the two cages and the two rings, like, to me, like, I equated that at, like, five or six years old as the, the you know, there's more space for more guys, which equals more violence, which probably means I'm a pretty sick individual. If, if, if I equated all of that, you know, to, to, to turn out to be that way. But uh, what yeah. do you think, like, like I mean, nowadays – the shot of the overhead? Yeah, the overhead shot. Just look how impressive that looks. Like, I mean, back then. You know, nowadays, like, if you look at it to, up to today's standards, it's a blip on the radar. But look at it back then. Like, the, 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 the overhead spotlight in the ring, you don't see the whole crowd. It's got that kind of, like, old, dingy, kind of smoke-filled arena look to it, which I always thought was what, had some character to the presentation, especially to like NWA and Jim Crockett promotions. And with the cage there, it just kind of adds this, like, I don't want to say like underground fight club, but it, in some ways, like yeah, you can see some of the crowd, but for the most part, that's, uh, that's just a cool shot to me from, from a, and here's JJ, <laughs> JJ coming in. JJ Dillon yeah. in the ring. Yeah, that didn't no. work. No. Now let me ask you, mean, just from a, from a, from a kayfabe standpoint, Okay, J.J. Dillon was the manager. Okay, he was the one to handle all the business for the Horsemen. All right, from a kayfabe standpoint, what made the four Horsemen think J.J. Dillon had a shot in helping them win this match with no prior wrestling experience? That's so slim to none. <laughs> yeah, but I, it's, looking back on it now, it's just like, I mean, look at him. He's no, I mean, he's. He's definitely not the studs that, you know, Arn and Flair and Tully and Luger are, but. Uh, Cheese Raider. Oh, yep, there you go. Famous Flair, Flair blade job right there. There it is. Yeah. <laughs> yep, there you go. Cut yourself up some more right in front of the camera. Yep. Uh, JJ's in trouble now. <laughs> <laughs> JJ Dillon on Rubber Leg Street. Come on. I mean, it's Do they amazing, really have you know, to? And you don't know it at the time when you're watching this, but you know, I mean, arguably, and, and you know, the show's not not, a, you know, we're not debating here, but you can make the case for um, Ric Flair obviously being the greatest of all time. Uh, you definitely can make the case for the Road Warriors being uh, the best tag team of all time. Um, Obviously, a very good case to make the the Four Horsemen the greatest faction of all time. Um, obviously, Dusty Rhodes an all time great. JJ Dillon an all time great. Um, it's it's crazy when you think about the talent that is that is in this match, and then you watch how they take this, and it, and it doesn't get too busy. 
Uh, the camera work, you know, it's amazing now is that when you really watch a wrestling match, and, and you can, and I've done this, when you watch wrestling on TV nowadays, which I think kind of hampers it on some levels uh, when you see it live, is they change camera shots like every four to five seconds. If you sit there and count like from, from a camera shot, you usually will not get to five before they change the angles. Whereas when you look at it, you know, in yesteryear, obviously they stay longer with different shots. Um, and you get more of a sense of, of the pace of the match and, and the violence of the match. And I just, I love the way the match is, is shot. I, I love the moments. You never, with all these guys in the ring, two rings, a cage, um, you're still getting, it's not like you could call it like maybe organized chaos, but there's, there's still enough storytelling going on. There's still enough moments where you don't feel like, oh my God, I don't know what to look at first. It's, they have enough moments where some guys are down, some guys are up, someone has a spot, they move to someone else. Like, it's just, it's really well put together. It, it's well booked. The guys in the ring are, are, are doing an awesome job uh, performing this match. Um, it, it's just pretty amazing as J.J. Dillon gets sent against the ropes. Double clothesline from the Road Warriors as he convulses when he hits the mat. <laughs> You know, I'm glad you brought up that point about today's production um, because there's one thing I can't stand about the way that, 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 that WWE films, you know, during a match. For instance, if there's a guy that's in the corner and depending on where they, they, uh, the camera's located, the cameraman almost moves his head so that it gives the illusion that, like, we at home are, like, following along with the guy getting, like, kicked or punched. This, all right, let me hold that thought for a second. This is the that's spot the right here. Andrew. Boom. Yep, where he but where he busted his shoulder, where he told us this story right here on this very show, Ken Reedy's show. But the back to what I was saying earlier, um, the cameraman will almost move the camera and shake the camera as if like the fan at home is like shaking their head when the guy's like giving them the roundhouse rights in the corner or where he's like stomping a mud hole in them. And it almost makes you dizzy watching it. Like my wife's watched it with me before. She'd be like, what's up with the camera? Why does it keep moving that way when the guy's kicking them? And, and to me, sometimes it's almost distracting more than anything else. And was this the, was this the finish here? Did, are we at the finish yet? No. Did JJ give up? JJ is a bloody mess. Yes, he is. I think he gave up. Which I never really was a big fan of that finish in, in, in the war games of, of, of a guy giving up, like one guy. Like I always thought like maybe if they like handcuffed each guy to the cage or whatever. And, yep, that's, and the, that's the end. The superpowers are victorious. Right. That, that is bad. You know, it's funny that you, you mentioned that because, you know, when you go back in the history of pro wrestling um, – you know, the Iron Man match between uh, Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels. Um, oh, sh- shut up. It's so nice. Going to something else. Um, I, I always hated that finish. I hated the overtime. I, I, I just, you know, didn't agree with how, like, everything played out. I just thought that, all right, time ran out. And, yeah, it should have been a time limit draw on the champion. I mean, that to me was, was the right storytelling. How do you – how do you restart a match when like one guy had the other guy in, in a submission hold and then you just automatically restart it? I hated the finish. And it, and it took me a few years to go back and watch that match and really appreciate how great it was. 
Because for me, it just, as I was watching it currently, I just didn't like the storytelling in the end. And, you know, it's amazing that you can kind of get to the end and hate a finish. And then you go back and watch it again and you can appreciate the match for what it was. And still kind of be like, eh, maybe the finish could have been better. And I agree with you. That finish could have been better, but man, when you look at the players in that match, you look at the violence, you look at the pacing, um, you know, and, and we went through on this show, like, best matches of all time. Maybe we need to do, like, a Plunda episode of the show and do our best, like, gimmick matches of all time. But uh, that was a lot of fun. That was a great match. And, and it's, Dave, pretty staggering, the, the level of talent that was in that match. With the exception of Luger and Nikita Koloff, I believe every single one of those those men in that match are, are Hall of Famers. Um and I'm surprised that Luger isn't in the Hall of Fame for the amount of stuff that he's done over the years. But I think there's more to it as to why he's not in there. But, yeah, the level of talent. And if you go back and, you know, and, and watch some of these other War Games matches that are on here, um, on, the, on the, the, the War Games collections of WWE Network, I mean, the talent, the, the talent level continues to build. I mean, you see, you don't put too many slouches in that kind of a match. With the exception of 95 and the Dungeon of Doom, uh, there's like top level Hall of Fame world champions. Just about everyone in the match in that match is, is a top guy um, over the years. And the concept, like I said, it went from being something that was traveling at a house show on tour to eventually becoming an annual thing on pay per view. And uh, you know, it's it, best days were definitely for the War Games concept were definitely during the Crockett era when the when the the Horsemen were were on top. Three four seven eight three eight nine eight one five is the number to call. What is your favorite Independence Day kind of moment? Something that happened in wrestling history around July fourth. Give us a call. Post it on the Facebook page. We got a lot more to get into, but right now it's time for the day five fifty fifty news report. Good evening, and thank you for tuning in to the Dave 5-50-50 News Report, which can only be heard right here at the Ken Reedy Show. Now you're probably wondering where you can find the Ken Reedy Show. Aside from listening live here on blogtalkradio.com, you can head on over to B-plus Player Radio, the one-stop shop for all pro wrestling podcasts going today. And I think B-plus is also venturing off outside of the pro wrestling world as well, but don't quote me on that. Search, then like, and or follow B-plus on social media platforms such as Facebook and Twitter, where you can find this show and so many others, thanks to the one and only Mark Adam Haggerty. You're looking for this, if, you're, if looking for this show is an issue, and wait approximately one hour after the show airs live, and you can find the replay of this program on iTunes. I'm not quite sure when the show drops over at B+, but if you can't find it over there, then head on over to iTunes. And now that I'm done throwing the B+, player radio management under the bus, here's this week's top stories. How fitting that our first story this week happens to fall on Bobby Bonilla Day. Wondering what that is exactly? <laughs> Former New York Mets star Bobby Bonilla hasn't played a Major League Baseball game in 17 years, yet the Mets are still contractually obligated to pay him over $1 million every July 1st until the year 2035. I won't go into great detail on how he managed to get that kind of a deal, but I will say maybe that's the model that WWE Universal Champion Brock Lesnar is trying to adopt when it comes to making a living, as he's all over the news this week on a number of fronts. First and foremost, He's speculated to be appearing on WWE programming to defend the Universal title, but according to the dirt sheet, that is undetermined at this time. Many speculated that Brock would be working SummerSlam, but the folks over at the Wrestling Observer don't believe that to be the case anymore, according to their sources. They seem to think he's going to work sometime later in 2018, 
But that also is undetermined at this time. At this rate, who gives a shit? He's done nothing to make that title mean anything. He's hardly around. He really hasn't made as many guys in the WWE than he should have during this run. And if anything, this run was more to pad his resume and forget about the two-year run he had before he left WWE because he couldn't handle the schedule. And to top it off, his main objective is to make as much money as possible doing the least amount of work. That, my friends, is called the American dream. Not hating on him for it either. I'd be doing the same thing if I was in his shoes, and I know you would too. Don't bullshit me on that. Basically, what I'm getting at is just go back to UFC if that's what you want to do, or if that's because Dana White is offering more money than your WWE deal. Which brings me to the fact that as of right now, this past Friday was the deadline for Brock to re-enter the USADA testing pool if he wants to fight in MMA before 2018 is over. So far, his name is not listed publicly. That doesn't mean he hasn't re-entered the testing pool, as USADA has kept names hidden on their list before for reasons unknown. If Brock has re-entered, then he is rumored to be fighting in December. On a related note, PW Insider reported this week that talents who work for WWE on a short-term basis are not subject to WWE's wellness policy drug testing procedure unless they sign a deal that lasts up to one year. Fellas, thank you so very much for clearing that up. I honestly thought for a minute there that Brock Lesnar really had to piss into a cup all seven times he's shown up to work this year. Linda Hogan. Hulk Hogan's ex-wife and gold-digging waste of oxygen is in the news this week as she is publicly claiming that ex-husband Hulk is hiding income from her. This income that may be attached to several businesses of his, she is demanding her 40% share of his earnings as agreed upon in a divorce settlement from 2009. This is according to her statement to the Daily Mail this week. In their divorce settlement in 2009, Linda received 70% of Hulk's liquid assets and properties worth over $3 million. This is also in addition to the 40% share of revenue she's now claiming Hulk is keeping from her. In this same statement, she's also claiming to be responsible for helping create Hulk's character and instrumental in the success he achieved in the wrestling business, all the while she was raising her two children when Hulk was on the road. Allow me a crack at her doctor's prescription pad so I can make myself a heavily medicated cocktail and come up with statements such as that. She's claiming the reason she filed for divorce is because of multiple adulterous affairs Hulk partook in, as well as his attempt to hide and conceal their assets and income from her. Now, I might be biased here because I'm such a Hogan, Mark, but doesn't this bitch have enough? Took a few of his homes, fucked her kid's grade school friend, and then dumped him because she realized he hadn't finished the 11th grade yet and didn't know how to balance a checkbook. I'm surprised old wrinkly skin, saggy water balloon hanging from the faucet titties didn't crawl out from under a rock sooner after Hulk won that huge lump sum of money from his sex tape trial with Gawker. Looks like Hulk and his legal team may have to give old Lynn Dooch the big boot and leg drop for the victory. WWE superstar Shinsuke Nakamura was bitten in the leg by a police dog this week. Yep, you heard that correctly. Apparently, the Bakersfield, California Police Department's Explosive Ordnance Disposal Team conducted a routine sweep at the Rainbow Bank Arena before a WWE Live event was set to take place last Monday evening. The explosive detected canine swept the room in which Nakamura was in and bit him accidentally, according to a police report conducted by the Bakersfield Police Department. Nakamura was taken to the hospital and treated for the bite. The timetable for an in-ring return is said to be two to three weeks. Following this attack, reports of service that the dog was not very fond of individuals that do not speak English, which has now resulted in a Kennel from Hell 2 match between the police dog taking on Shinsuke Nakamura at the upcoming Extreme Rules event. 
Big changes are ahead when SmackDown Live moves to Fox in the fall of 29th, and one of those changes comes in the form of additional programming opportunities for WWE. First, Ryan Satin of Pro Wrestling Sheet broke news this week that the flagship WWE Network's NXT show will move to Fox Sports 1, but that has yet to be confirmed. There had also been talk of doing a studio show on Fox Sports 1 as a part of this deal, but I'm not sure if NXT is also a part of that. It can also be reported that allegedly WWE and Fox will produce a number of primetime specials periodically on Saturday evenings, which leaves many to wonder if we see the return of Saturday night's main events. An interesting note here, which was brought to my attention courtesy of Dave Meltzer and the Wrestling Observer, is this deal between WWE and Fox is essentially a deal between WWE and Fox Sports, not Fox Entertainment, as according to Meltzer. Eric Shank, a high-ranking Fox Sports executive, was in attendance during those negotiations. Meltzer noted that the sports division is expected to treat WWE like a sport and not entertainment, despite the fact they're an entertainment property. It's suggested that in terms of production quality, Fox might lend a hand with WWE's programming as they've done with all other sports under their umbrella. However, it could also be argued that because of their lack of experience producing wrestling, that they may just leave it up to WWE until they see a dip in the ratings. And in our final story this week, some sad news has come upon the wrestling world. As former WWE Tough Enough winner Matt Capitelli has passed away this week after losing his battle to brain cancer. Capitelli won the third season of the original Tough Enough series along with co-winner John Morrison. He worked a few preliminary matches on the main roster before being sent to WWE's developmental territory, Ohio Valley Wrestling, in 2004. It was there where things changed for Matt. As he won the OVW heavyweight title in 2005, but just as luck would have it, He was forced to relinquish the title in February of 06 when he announced he was diagnosed with a grade three, grade two, or three, astrocytoma. It was a year later in April of 2007 that he would undergo brain surgery to remove the cancer. At the time, the surgery was a success, and the majority of the brain tumor was removed. He would later go on to become the trainer for OVW's Beginners Program in 2013. But unfortunately, in July of 2017, Capitelli announced he was diagnosed with a grade four, glioblastoma multiform. Earlier this year in May, after consulting with a neuro-oncologist, Capitelli decided to end treatments for the tumor. He passed away June 19, 2018. He is survived by his wife, Lindsay, of 12 years. Our heartfelt thoughts and well wishes from all of us here at the Ken Reedy Show to the family and loved ones of one map Capitelli during this difficult time. Excuse me. And on that note, thanks for tuning in to another informative edition of the Ken Reedy Show, the best in pro wrestling talk. Check back here next time for more comings and goings in the world of professional wrestling. And let's get back to doing what we do best in this next hour. Ken, take it away. Great stuff, as always. Very sad story there, um, finishing out the news. Um, interesting stuff I want to touch on, actually, from the news. But so, you guys, so we're doing this uh, watch-along episode. So the next thing we're going to watch along with, and we're going to start it in a moment. But check it out. We're going to watch Monday Night Raw from July 5th. 1993 that's going to give us some highlights from the slam heard around the world or not really maybe that that's that's really hogan and andre but the other slam possibly heard around the world on the intrepid that occurred july 4th 1993 lex luger yoko zunu um so queue it up right now go to the wwe network um, right now, so I have it queued up. It queued up after like the, the intro and everything about 45 seconds in. So I have it paused right now, 45 seconds in. So if you want to get it ready, pause it. We're going to start it in a moment. But 
Dave, I do want to touch upon like some of the stuff you had in the news. Um, the Hogan stuff just screams of Linda. Uh, like her lawyer said, wait for a little while after the, the Gawker settlement, and then we'll pounce and, and try and get some, some extra money. And, you know, you almost think the way Hogan is and the way Hogan talks about Linda, that Hogan will just write a check to get her the hell away from him. Um, he should. Yeah, I mean, he can afford it now. I mean, he could he could probably afford to. He should buy her an island and drop her off there and then own, like, the water around the island and just forbid anyone going back and forth. So she just – she's stuck there. I mean, that, that would make the most sense for me. Yeah. But I did want to touch upon, as, as we look into, like, the, the news with, with Brock Lesnar, and, and I do find it really interesting with Brock because – Again, now you're hearing the rumblings that maybe he's not going to be at SummerSlam. And, and I am one of the, the proponents of I don't think you need to see a champion uh, every week on Raw. I think having the champion off of Raw and, and periodically seeing the champ is a good thing. However, to me, this has just gotten goddamn ridiculous. Brock only cares about a paycheck. And, and you're right, Dave. It is the American dream. I mean, I even... I just shared something on Facebook where there's a study that that came out that said that people over 40 should only work three days a week. That makes the most sense for people. And I'm I'm a proponent of that. I'm a proponent of the least amount of work for the most amount of money and agreed. If I could get the work that Lesnar's got and get paid 100%. But as a fan, I'm so done with Brock Lesnar. Um He's basically, he elevated the universal title and now he's shit on it. Um, So net, net, he's done nothing for the title. Um, I'm not interested now in him coming back to me as a fan. I'm just like, can we just get this belt off him, put it on someone else. And if Brock wants to come back every few years, if he wants to be like a, a WrestleMania undertaker kind of thing and, come back and give us a run to WrestleMania and a match at Mania and then go away again, fine. But I, I'm just so done with him. If Lesnar walks out the door and never comes back to wrestling, I ain't going to miss him. I'm just, for me, Dave, as a fan, I'm just completely done with this Lesnar experiment. Yeah, and for the per- I'll get into that in a second, but for the purposes of time, for those of you who are listening live or pre-recorded, cue up the WWE Network, like Ken said, 45 seconds in, and in five, four, three, two, one, play. Now, before we get into this watch-along, yeah, I'm right there with you. I'm done with it. The, 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 the title, he didn't even elevate the title when he got it, in my opinion. Um, it's just, to me, like, if he's an attraction, he doesn't need the belt. They, they give the belt to someone who needs it. it. It just makes the rest of the roster look inferior and look like, you know, that, that, you know, that they're just not on Brock's level. Currently, like Rick Steiner here is not on Yokozuna's level trying to slam him uh, in this uh, – and I don't know who the heck is that guy. Somebody working a footlocker. Foot job. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> I mean, I'm just I'm right. Really old intro for Raw. With the sirens and everything. Yeah, that used to be. I used to think that was pretty cool. You just you know, you kind of think felt about like, this... especially when you were there live. You kind of felt like you were at a happening when you went to Monday Night Raw, which I don't know if you really get that sense as much anymore, but uh. God, look at that. Ah, it's awesome. The Manhattan Center. This is so great. God, look at that crowd. Honestly, I mean, 
the Manhattan Center, you know, when, when they ran the Raw 25 and brought it back, that was pretty cool. Um, I, I felt like they should have done more on that Raw 25 with the Manhattan Center, but the Manhattan Center would be a cool little spot to run, like, you know, an NXT kind of show. And they, they kind of have that, that the, the, the building has character to it. I think it would add to the presentation of the, of the NXT product. Uh, if they were to run the Manhattan Center, you know, for periodically for TV tapings or even a special like pay-per-view event. I look at Macho Man's outfit. I, I'm like getting such a kick out of, out of you know, Macho Man. You, you wonder how much did he spend like collectively on the outfits that he wore? Just incredible. I don't know, but I remember, I remember watching his DVD and they they interviewed the guy that designed all of them and Savage. Savage was known for being a cheapskate, and the guy even said, he goes, he, he, Macho Man invested in spandex, and spandex was pretty cheap back then. Uh, but, yeah, I, I'd love to, someone that, because I've heard Savage's ring-worn outfits, stuff like this, is out there for collectors. Some of it WWE has, but some of it, uh, you know, I heard it's out there. I'd love to get, like, a piece of something, like one of his hats or maybe even one of his coats or something like that. That would be like a holy grail for me in terms of wrestling merchandise. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's funny when you talk about, you know, and I I, I have, you know, my fair share of, of some cool, like, autographs and stuff. But, like, as we were talking, as I talked earlier in the show about home ownership and how things go and things break and money and everything, um, yeah, definitely would be as far as my uh, collection would definitely be uh, – a Ric Flair robe, or at least a part of it, and, and a Macho Man, either hat or robe, even a pair of his sunglasses would just be yeah. awesome. Bob Backlund. Can't get the Come big on, guy. You, don't think Bob had a sh- you know what, you know what I, I didn't like about this as a kid? Was that they showed clips of this, that they didn't make this like a live special for you to watch. You know what I mean? Like that they put this on Raw and showed like highlights of it. Like, that's what I didn't like. I, I wanted to see, like, the whole thing in its entirety. And that goes back to what we've talked about in this show before, my my fandom or whatever you want to call it for outdoor wrestling events that we've discussed. And how I thought just the look of this on the Intrepid, the ring, and being out outside in a bright summer day, that looks so cool. Like, to me, that looks like a happening, you know? You're right. And there's not enough of that. You know, when you think back to stuff like outside wrestling events, Going back even to uh, Nitro in the uh, the Mall of America, you know, certain things that you saw over the historical moments in wrestling when they, they just had that, that different look. And speaking of different looks, man, seeing Scott Steiner pre-Big uh, Papa Pump days, uh, it's amazing how much he changed. Oh, here's Tatanka. Tatanka gearing up. That was the other thing. No it's a body slam contest. <laughs> You're allowed to beat the guy up to get the to, to body slam. I thought it was just a body slam contest. You're supposed to slam. Yeah, I guess you could you could hit him. You could beat the shit out of him and then try to slam. Oh, there you go. Yeah, no, not going up. <laughs> Taco was a big deal back in the day. I remember when they they boasted his undefeated streak like it was like it was something else. Bill Braylick. WrestleMania two battle royal veteran, if you remember, with Big John uh, Studd. Check out his outfit, man. That's good stuff. Yeah, I I got one of those jackets hanging in my closet at home. 
Uh, oh, crush. Man, you know, I got to tell you, that's, that's a hell of a mullet he's got there. Um, tough thing about watching uh, a lot of the, like doing these watch alongs and going back is just how many guys aren't with us anymore. That That's, yeah, that that's tough, man. When you watch some of these telecasts, you know, guys who, who left us way too young. I mean, we're watching, this is, this is 93. It's not exceptionally long ago. And the amount of guys just aren't with us anymore. I mean, there's three guys in that ring right now that aren't with us anymore. It's just, it's, it's sad. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I didn't really, you know, I, I didn't realize that four, Mr. Fuji. Oh, that's right. Fuji's a geez. Oh, oh, crush so far the closest. Oh, Macho Man going for it, digging that outfit. Reminiscent of my Hall um, of Fame outfit this past year. <laughs> uh huh. Should I slam him? Maybe. Yes. No. Participation. Uh huh. Thinking, thinking, thinking. Oh, come on. Take a little, little bit out of the Hogan page. Ear cup, getting the crowd going. <laughs> need a re- need it. Nope. Hold on. Yep. Uh huh. <laughs> Oh, one more. I get one more shot. Yeah, maybe. Uh huh. This time. Oh no, gotta put the hat back on. Gotta cover up the bald spot. Yeah. Uh huh. Give me another shot. <laughs> I'm digging it. Yeah. So maybe I was wrong because going back and watching this now, I remember as a kid like watching this maybe i didn't watch it on raw maybe i watched like wrestling challenge or superstar oh big entrance you know it's a big entrance when you're coming in off a helicopter yeah, like, i mean I looking back like you know how cool this must have been just being on the intro i mean I, I just went to the intrepid recently um you know thinking about how cool it would have been you know we're we're, we're looking at pre-internet you weren't going to pop online and watch this stuff going on live. Like the only people that were seeing this live were, were there live, you know? And I mean, standing on the deck of the intrepid and uh, a helicopter coming close, that just must've been, you know, when you think about WrestleMania, you think about great moments in wrestling history. Um, this isn't a moment that comes up often when you're, when you're talking about moments and matches and, and everything, but I mean, the kids following Luger down to the way, look at this. I mean, if you were there that day, July 4th, Independence Day, oh, Bobby the, the, the Intrepid, look at that is awesome. You know, Luger comes in on a helicopter, foreign nemesis in the ring. No one can slam him. Lex Luger donning the American flag shirt comes to the I mean, this is wrestling, man. Good guy, bad guy. This is. Oh, I, I wish I was there for this. This is unbelievable. Then you know, this was very Luger coming out like this. This was out of out of nowhere and unexpected. It's just weeks prior, he wrestled as the narcissist, and he was you know Bobby Heenan's protege. And then you, I guess you kind of saw the him tying up loose ends creatively and getting rid of Bobby Heenan before he jumps in there and tries to slam Yokozuna, but look at those jeans. Is Luger wearing a set of mom jeans? <laughs> I was thinking the same look at, thing. It's like a it's like a there's like a like a denim fanny pack attached to him like like I I know wrestlers like fan look at you see it? Look at those pockets. You're right. Oh my thing. God. What is that? 
It's like a Did denim like fanny pack. Back in the day, with like like a built-in fanny pack. Look at that. Up, oh, Fuji, Fuji out to the floor. Up, oh, got it. Yeah, now, yep. Yeah, look what at is it. That? It looks there, like a, that is... Look at that thing. Jeez, holy nineties, Batman. What are you smuggling steroids in that thing? What the hell? Oh, to the corner. Forearm, illegal forearm, by the way, because he had that metal plate for the motorcycle. And the big slam! Yeah! Oh! And the place goes wild. Look at that. I mean, look at that The crowd, American though. hero. I mean, just... Kayfabe is alive and well in 93. Look at the crowd pop. And, it, you know, and it's interesting, man. Like, Luger at this point in his career in the WWE, like you said, came out of being the narcissist, American hero, you know, goes into the Lex Express. Um, you know, do you think that like, when you look at Lex Luger, I mean, what is he a guy that just didn't have it, that just didn't have that it factor to be the guy? Oh, look at that hairy chest. Wow. Um, or <laughs> did the WWE miss the boat on Luger or did Luger just not have it? You know, it's, I mean, I think a lot of fans, including myself at, at that time, looked at Luger as, like, the, the next guy, that he was the guy to be elevated, and it, it just didn't play itself out that way. And and as a fan and, and now doing this show and, and looking back in history, you know, you got to a point where, at least for me, that Luger maybe wasn't really that good and, and was kind of the guy, as we just said, you know, a guy that was better suited for being the muscle, quote-unquote, in a four-horseman kind of fashion than, than being the man. I don't know what the right answer is, but when you look at Luger, do you think they just missed the boat, or is he a guy that really shouldn't have been the heir apparent? Um, that's hard for me to say. Um, and, and I think it's a number of reasons why he wasn't as successful in this role. Um, I think the timing was bad. I think at time during that time in wrestling, um, <clears throat> WWF, was having a hard time trying to find its own identity because Hulk Hogan had left. For me as a fan personally, I felt like anyone that wasn't Hulk Hogan wasn't good enough um, to, for the top spot. And uh, Blake, Ble- Blake Beverly from the Beverly Brothers. Look at that robe. I think I got that robe in my closet too. Um, <laughs> and uh, and uh, with the – with the female sports coat shoulder pads up top there. Look at that. Wow. Some real fashion mavens in this episode of Monday Night Raw between the, the mom jeans that Luger was wearing and this robe from Blake Beverly. Wow. These guys were, these guys were giving Versace a run for his money. Um, yeah, the, the early 90s were like a, just a weird time in just fashion, pop culture, music, and obviously as we're seeing wrestling and wrestling attire. And mullets. Mullets was a big thing back then. Oh, I wish I had oh here comes another great mullet, the one, two, three kid. Yeah. But I think with Luger, it was a combination of things. The, the, the timing, because Vince McMahon and the WWF were trying to change their image. They weren't trying. They were like on the fence about, do, do you want to promote the bigger guys or do you want to promote the more smaller athletic guys? And they were in the midst of the steroid trial. And it was just one of those things where like, I don't think that they prepared for life after Hulk Hogan. You know, I really don't think they did. And I know as a fan, I sure, certainly wasn't prepared for it. I, like I said, anyone who wasn't Hulk Hogan in, in the top spot wasn't acceptable to me. As much as I liked Luger, and I was a fan of Luger from his time in WCW, I still had a hard time buying that 
he was the heir apparent to the throne. Even though I didn't think that way in, in 1993, I looked at it from a kid from from a ten year old standpoint and said to myself, "He's like a he's like a they're trying to make him like Hulk Hogan, you know, Yankee Doodle Dandy, and you know, with the you know USA and with the flag. Like it just didn't. I didn't see Lex Luger as that. I saw Lex Luger as this like good looking powerhouse kind of a wrestler. Didn't really need. The, the 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 USA gimmick backing him up, or I saw him as you know this like jacked up muscular kind of you know snobby heel, you know what I mean? Kind of like what he was in WCW during his run in the Horseman, and the the USA thing just didn't work for me. But um, it's hard for me to say whether he whether he was either not WWE missed the boat. Um, I, I really can't answer that, to be to be honest with you. People say, like, oh, he wasn't good enough, but I, I think overall WWF programming wasn't that great either. And I don't think it I don't think Luger is the the sole bad reason for 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 why the company wasn't that successful. It's a team effort. It's not just a you know, a a singular uh singular effort on his part. Yeah, I think you bring up a good point looking at Luger that you know, I the, the to me, I mean, looking back at it, and obviously 2020 hindsight, you know, they were trying to recreate Hogan with Luger, and I think the best transition was actually going to Bret Hart as being the man because it was different. You had this bombastic, muscle head, blonde haired superstar Hulk Hogan. Um, why not go to a smaller, more technically sound kind of guy as you kind of you know, ebb and flow. You can't, you know, people were getting tired of Hogan, you know, late in his run in the WWE as well, that people forget about um, that kind of go into the same formula uh, may not have been the best thing for Lex Luger. Uh, again, hindsight being 2020, as we look at uh, the one, two, three kid. And, and this was an interesting storyline when Sean Waltman got this gimmick, because, you know, nowadays, I mean, there are guys that are quote unquote enhancement talent that, um, kind of serve the role of, of being um, a jobber, uh, but they're not – they go through periods of time perhaps in their career where they're being enhancement, but they, they, you don't have like the true jobbers like uh, we grew up with. And, um, you know, Sean Waltman, when he came in, you had that sense of when he went up against Razor Ramon, like, oh, let's look at this kid. I mean, he, he kind of had that prototypical jobber kid kind of look to him. I love the fact that he came in and beat Razor Ramon. It was shocking. Um, I don't think any fan really saw it coming. Um, I certainly didn't. And definitely a a good gimmick for him. Uh, Sean Waltman, a guy, you know, carved out a nice little career for himself. It's intriguing when you think about him in the click and when you think about HBK, Triple H, Nash, um, Hall, and, and then you can think of Sean Waltman and Waltman's definitely kind of that guy that, um, which one here is not like the other. Um, <laughs> but a guy, and I was never a fan, honestly, I, aside from the one, two, three kid gimmick and him beating razor was not a big fan of, of him overall, but a guy who carved out a nice little career for himself, a guy, uh, one, two, three kid, six in the NWO, X-Pac in, in DX, um, a guy that possibly will wind up being in the Hall of Fame at some point in his career. Um, for me, I probably wouldn't put him in the Hall, but 
he did have a, a nice little career. Um, athletic guy, just was never really a fan of him. But right now he is playing the uh, the overmatched wrestler uh, role pretty effectively here. Um, as Beverly is, is definitely just toying with him right now, throwing one, two, three kid back into the ring. Uh, but your thoughts on Waltman and his career, um, you know, and it sucks, man. It's, it's almost like, you know, when all your best friends are just like all to, like definitively no brainer hall of famers. And there's you who kind of had a very substantial, nice career, but just not on the level of your four other friends. No, he definitely stood out in terms of, you know, the, the, the level of success he achieved, you know, from the rest of the guys in the click. But um, I, I always felt looking back hindsight being 2020 Waltman was a good utility player. You know, he played the, the, uh, the baby face in peril very well with the one, two, three kid gimmick, but then he played the little, you know, uh, you know, smart ass little weasel like six and, and uh, in the NWO and, and having Hall and Nash is kind of like his backup, you know, but at the same time, he was able to back it up in the ring as well. You know, you could put him in a spot where he'd work well with the flyers and the cruiserweights, but if you wanted to put him in a tag team with a guy like a Scott Hall or even a Kevin Nash or whatever, it worked too. I mean, he, he, he did very well for himself. I'm just kind of surprised because of his ability, his athletic ability that like WWE in the 90s, early 2000s, didn't capitalize on him being a leading force in, like, the lightweight cruiserweight division. WCW had the cruiserweight division. You know, they they cornered the market on that, and that's what really kind of set them apart from WWF. But the WWF in the Attitude Era, granted, it was more storyline than in-ring stuff, but they they had a lightweight division at some point. I always felt like Waltman you know, as X-Pac could have really been like a good figurehead for that division and really kind of helped put that division on the map. But for whatever reason, they decided to, to go against it. Here's a little fun fact for you. Blake Beverly here, real name Mike Enos, was one of the individuals in the ring in May of 96 when Scott Hall made his Nitro debut when they first started the uh, the whole NWO storyline. Really? I did another. Yeah. Off the top rope. Holy cow. Plunder, baby. One, two, three, kid. Now with the upper hand, trying to get back into the ring. Blake Beverly reeling outside the ring. He's up on his feet, trying to get back in the ring. The ref's still counting. And Beverly back in the ring. One, two, three, kid. He's feeling it. God, he looks about 12 years old. Yeah. These mullets, man. You mullet. watch like early nineties wrestling, like drink every time you see a mullet, you're gonna be hammered. <laughs> you know, Waltman looks like he didn't pass the eighth grade in this match, and Blake Beverly looks like the like the oh he he, he Oh well he looks like he's in control now of this match. <laughs> Blake Beverly Blake Beverly looks like the guy that sits at the end of the bar after a long day of, of working his nine to five job at some like Island bar in the Bahamas. Like he's got that kind of like rugged kind of, you know, Island Island, you know, kind of look like almost you ever watch that show bloodlines on, uh, on Netflix. Yeah. He looks like someone that could be in that show with like that bleach blonde hair, that bulky look. And one, two, three, kid with the one, two, three for the victory. Because who really thought Blake Beverly had a shot against the one, two, three, kid? 
Good stuff, though. Definitely some good stuff. Yeah, it's funny. They, they remind me of actually, and I'm trying to remember the name of the movie, but the, the movie that Matthew McConaughey was in um, about the 70s, and he was, the, uh, he was oh. the the older guy that graduated from high school and came back. Dazed and, like, and, and Confused, thank you. Dazed and Confused, it's yeah. Like, it, Sean Waldman looks like the freshman, and Beverly <laughs> is, is Matthew McConaughey character. I love high school girls. I keep getting older, and they stay the same age. <laughs> Men on a mission. Look at this. Oh, WWF my God. <laughs> oh, WWF answers to MC Hammer. Yeah. Look at this. Unfortunately, Mabel's no longer like, with you know, It's one of those things where, like, it's amazing how nostalgia can, like, grab you because, like, if I was watching this in 93, I'd be watching like, oh, my God, this is the drizzle shits. Like, how can, how, what, just stop. But now, like, being older and looking back, like, I'm just enjoying the cheese. Like, I want, I want some wine with this cheese. Like, this is, this is just great stuff. It's so bad it's good, in a way. Exactly. Like, but back yeah. then, like, honestly, like I said or at the top of the show, I wonder if I'll look back on this era at some point with nostalgia. But uh, look at Luger working out. Ico Pro. <laughs> Never had. But yeah, like, that. I mean, oh, this is the era, God. Virgil, I need a Virgil action figure. I have one. <laughs> That's awesome. I'm not kidding. I've, I've been I, since I've been. Doing more and more as I'm building the, you know, kicking out at two podcasts. I've been decorating my studio. I've been collecting a lot of those Hasbro action figures that you saw in that commercial there. Um, I'll tell you, it's quite the market for those now for wrestling collectors and what people will pay to get some of those, whether they're in perfect condition or whether they're in, you know, not so perfect condition. But speaking of not so perfect condition, we got Luna Vachon out with Bam Bam Bigelow. That was quite the quite the duo i must say uh, when when luna vachon made her wrestlemania debut in Shawn michaels corner i was like this is definitely one of those which one of these is not like the other because michaels was you know all about the hot chicks and luna was anything but a hot chick but then when they paired her with bam bam i was like oh yep that's right that makes sense now they should go with that and we're talking about great jobbers jumping joey mag it's set to take action against Bam Bam Bigelow here. Joey Max was a, a staple of my childhood, watching his shoulders get pinned to the mat on a weekly basis. <laughs> Another mullet. And you know, we talked a lot about Vader. Uh, was that last week's show? How good was Bam Big Bam? Big yeah. We, we talk about big guys. Um, you know, Bam Bam was something else. Bam Bam was a guy, again, as a kid, um, you know, and, and, and for our listeners, some of the people who might be younger listening to the show, um, you got to understand, like, you know, wrestling was a lot different when we were growing and that's it. And there you go. Bam, bam, big little victorious. But I the first time I saw Bam Bam, I was just like, I was floored. It's like, you, you didn't see big guys move like that. Um, was always impressed with his athleticism and, you know, the, everything about him, the athleticism, the outfit, the tattooed scalp was just um, so imposing and, and, and yet so engaging. Just a, a very talented competitor and a guy who, you know, was, was very different um, as far as a big man. 
He was a walking advertisement in wrestling for Look at Me. Between the outfit, the tattooed head, and his his ability in the ring, Bam Bam Bigelow, you know, stood out like a sore thumb. And he was definitely a true innovator of, uh, you know, uh, what the big man can do in wrestling. Here we have Bobby the Brain Heenan and Mean Gene Oakland. Is this a 900 line number? No, this is for All American Wrestling. Yes, Sunday mornings. I remember All American Wrestling as a kid. That was probably the one I, if I didn't watch wrestling on Saturdays or if I wasn't allowed to watch Monday Night Raw because I had a bedtime as a child, I caught up on All American Wrestling. That's for sure. Oh, look, there's a Bruce Pritchard sighting. Look at him. He talked about guys who look like a baby. But he, I mean, he got this, I shouldn't discover, but he was brought in pretty early. I mean, wasn't he, uh, I mean, early 20s when he started with the WWF? Pritchard? Yeah. Yeah, I think he was like in his 20s. I want to say he was like four, 25 years old when he, uh, when he, uh, he started with them. But he had had a history working in, uh, for uh, Paul Bosch in Houston Wrestling. That's where he got his start in the business in Houston from where he's from. Think about like yourself at like 24 years old, and and all of a sudden, like you know, you're you're working for the WWF. You know, you're you're rubbing shoulders with the likes of of a Macho Man, of a Hulk Hogan. I mean, that's just as Samu is in the ring. Um, it just it blows my mind when I think about being 24 and working for the WWF. Like, just crazy. Oh, I mean, I'd be like a kid in a candy store. And here comes the Undertaker. Is he with Paul Bear? Is Paul Bear with him? I don't see him. This was probably during the time when they I'm trying to think when this was ninety three, obviously. He kinda had that rivalry with the giant Gonzalez. If I remember as a kid correctly, Paul Bear was attacked, I wanna say, by the giant Gonzalez. And Undertaker was riding solo for a little bit. <laughs> Look at Bobby Heaton. <laughs> <laughs> the greatest of all time, in my opinion. Bobby Heenan sold everything. Such a great And, and that's the thing, man. Like part. when you look back on, on stuff and, and, and yesteryear and it's it all came together, you know, as far as like, you know, how the commentators told the story. Uh, how Heenan would would help facilitate storylines, whether it's managing or on... <laughs> there's a camera there. Um, Alpha. Uh, and the hat comes off. How menacing! Yeah, that's disgusting. We didn't see Samu's tongue. Just stop it. Uh, but you know, you know, and it's funny. Even nowadays, you know, I, I get it. You know, I don't like going to shows live as much anymore because of, of how the fan base has changed. And, you know, people are, you know, say things like, you know, I, I go to a wrestling show and I, I spend my money, but I can, I can do whatever I want. I always like the fact that as a fan and wrestling more than any other entertainment entity, you were part of the show. Wrestling fans were always part of the show, but it wasn't your job as a fan to quote unquote, take over the show. Your job was to help facilitate the storyline. I always felt like as a wrestling fan in a wrestling crowd that you kind of had that, I don't say obligation, but kind of, you were part of the show. So part of your role as a fan was to, that was a little ugly, was to just a little boo, boo the heels, cheer the faces 
And that's, that's what made you part of the show. What made you part of the show was when the faces needed a reaction, they could look to you as, as a crowd and you'd give them that reaction. Um, you know, when fan, when heels did something heinous, you gave them that reaction. You didn't cheer when something bad happened, you know, and that was part of it. Like to me in yesteryear, it all kind of came together. The wrestling, the wrestlers in the ring told the story. Uh, the commentators concentrated on the match and, and looking to tell the story in the ring, not thinking about the next pay-per-view or what's coming up next, but told the story between the ropes and fans reacted accordingly to the faces and the heels. And, when you watch it all on TV, it all came together as a clear, concise story. And it's great stuff. Oh, take her back in the ring. Immediately met with blows to the back of the head. Oh, reversal. Drop kick from the big man. So I move outside the you know ring. You could, want to talk it over. You know, you know what you could blame for that? The goddamn internet. <laughs> once, once people had an opinion And once wrestling fans were able to go and search And find, you know, little chat groups And, and, and rumors and gossip and all that stuff It ruined everything Because now they think that because they can read an opinion Or they can write an opinion online That all of a sudden that they're an expert at it Okay, And maybe I've been guilty of it at times myself as a fan Over the years But judging by what you've been what we're, what you've been through at shows recently, like WrestleMania, like I sure as hell am not as bad as that. I'll voice my opinion if I don't like something, but I'll also at the same time be a good fan and watch the show and 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 try to enjoy it. But I don't blame you if you, if you were to say tomorrow, like, hey, you know what, I'm gonna skip Mania this year because you know I just don't want to sit in a crowd with a bunch of people that are gonna hijack the show. Yeah, and that's the thing that gets frustrating because it's, you know, I go there to enjoy the show. That's why I, I buy a ticket because I want to go enjoy the show. I don't I don't buy a ticket to a wrestling show to bring a beach ball. You know, I, I go to enjoy the show. Um, if, if a match isn't good, like maybe I'll just sit and not cheer, not boo, just kind of hang out. Maybe I I hit the, the stand and go grab a beer if, if I'm not enjoying a match, but... I just don't get that idea, and I think now even it's not even if you get to the show and you don't enjoy something. It's fans go specifically thinking, "Oh, we're gonna we're gonna take this over," and uh, it's just it's beyond me. The problem is, I think we've moved into an era, and, and the internet's to blame, and I think you know millennials. I mean, we'll blame millennials for for just about anything. Um, yeah, but you, you know, you got to get that sense when you grow up and you put your big boy pants on, millennials. Um, you realize that, like, your number one, your opinion is your opinion. Opinions aren't fact. Okay, you got to get that out of your head. Um, if you think Roman Reigns sucks, that's fine. That's your opinion. That's not fact. Um, and I think people have gotten to a point, especially with the internet being able to post shit and then people agreeing with you, that people think that their opinion is is fact and it's not. I mean, opinions are like assholes. Everyone's got one and they usually stink. You know. Um, so, I mean, there's, there's that aspect, and, and I just think that millennials just go and they, they expect the world to uh, cater to them. And if it's not going their way, then they, they throw little hissy fits. Um, you know, it, it, goes, it all started, I mean, I remember, and you were there, but I remember WrestleMania in Miami, and, and this, this little child almost, I mean, like less than half my size, um, when I was cheering for John Cena versus The Rock, 
at one point in the match, he turned and, and gave me the double middle finger. And I was just like, <laughs> I think I remember that. <laughs> and I was just like, I, I went off on him and he just, he sat in his chair and didn't like turn around again. But I was like, I mean, I was with you and your brothers, like some of the only people that I know in my life that make me look small. And this guy had no clue. Like, again, a millennial has no clue. Like I could have been like a violent individual. He has no idea what kind of person I am. If we, if we were the, if collectively we were violent people that, that at least he would be permanently disabled, if not dead, we would have killed this kid. But you think it's okay yeah, in, a, we, in a wrestling arena to turn around and give some guy who's twice your size a double middle finger because you decided that John Cena sucks and you're rooting for The Rock. It just gets silly, whereas I, I miss, you know, this sort of stuff. This, you know, Samu and Taker are telling a story. The crowd's behind it, cheering the face, booing the heel. Um, it's a good match. You know, it's, I'm not going to, you know, jump on Samu being uh, all-time great here, but it's been a fun, entertaining match. Taker trying to sit up yet again. Summonsing. Oh, I can't do it. I'll work on those abs, Taker. And here goes Samu moving up to the top. He's up to the top rope. Flying headbutt. This has got to be it. Got to be it for the dead man. Why are you not going? Why is Samu not going for the pin? Waited too long. Yeah, Hard cover. What are you doing? Slaps him oh, in the face like that's going to help. <laughs> just like, Samu, come on, man. Just as I was complimenting you. This makes no sense. Yeah, that made about, oh, there you go. Yep. Whoa. <laughs> that's awesome. Nobody home. Oh. Samu in trouble. He's up. Boom. Big choke slam. Taker now in control. Got the big guy up, setting him up for the tombstone pile driver. Will he land it? Yes! Boom! Crosses the hands over his chest. One, two, and three. The dead man victorious here on Monday Night Raw. July 5th, 1993. (laughs) You know, it's amazing. Like, when you look at The Undertaker at this point in his career and, and, you know, thinking about, you know, probably one of the most brilliant, if not the most brilliant characters in the history of pro wrestling, the different outfits, the, the different incarnations, how he tweaked the character. Oh, my God. Look at those pants. Todd Pettengill. Todd Pettengill, Todd Pettengill honestly, was one of the reasons I got out of wrestling. In, in the I hated this guy. Everything about him, he just was the biggest goof to me. Just, oh, and now I'm remembering. Like, it, it, my stomach's actually turning watching him. Oh, my God. Does he still do radio in New York? He does, man. His show is awful. I mean, he was doing his show with Scott Shannon, and they balanced out well once they split up. Um, I, I try to listen to Pettengill. It's it's just bad. He's a guy, it sounds like, honestly, when you listen to him, that he's got an ego as big as the great outdoors. And um, <laughs> just, uh, you know, he's not that good, you know, and he's not as good as he thinks he is. Um, but getting back to what I was saying about Taker, you know, I don't know if any of us really at that point in, in his career looking at him. I mean, obviously, big guy, a specimen. I watched an interview with him recently from, like, the early um, 
early on when he was doing his American badass character and he was talking about retirement. Um, a guy like in 93, you know, I don't know if I looked at The Undertaker as a guy who definitively was going to be an all-time great. Um, it's pretty incredible when you think about what he's done over the course of his career. Uh, obviously, at this point, close to the end of his career. Um, but, man, I can't say that at this point, Dave, when I was watching Monday Night Raw and in the early 90s, that I really saw that Taker was going to be an all-time great for decades to come. Yeah, I didn't myself either. I mean, I'll be honest with you. When he beat Hogan the first time and got the belt, I was kind of like, what the heck? I just didn't really like, I mean, I was upset because, you know, he beat Hogan and Hogan was my guy. But at the same time, I was, you know, I was like, he hasn't even been around that long. Like, what's he done? You know, like, like, who's he beaten in a way, you know? And, but as time went on, I mean, he, you know, he stood the test of time and I, I never really it took a long time for me to warm up to the idea of him being a good guy. Um, when they did the whole turn, when Jake the Snake, um, you know, when he helped, uh, or when he stopped Jake the Snake from bashing Elizabeth in the head with a chair, I, I was kind of like baffled as to why he would do that, especially with his allegiance with Jake the Snake and what they had done to Macho Man for months prior. And uh, I just remember as a kid, like I was just kind of like confused as to why Undertaker would help Randy Savage like that. But I mean, over time, Obviously, it grew on me. It's one of the, like you said, one of the greatest characters, if not the greatest character in the history of the business. So, I mean, I guess, you know, the little fan in me, like, it didn't really matter what I thought. Here we got Fuji and Yokozuna, which, again, uh, we talked about big men in uh, last episode. Um, You know, Yokozuna, short career, but definitely an all-time great. Uh, Down at the ring with, with Mr. Fuji. Uh, look at this crowd, though. There's, no, there's nothing like some good old-fashioned nationalism to get a wrestling crowd going. I miss that sort of stuff, too. Um, chanting USA, foreign nemesis. Just so you guys know, keep watching this if you're watching along. This has been a lot of fun. We got about four minutes. It, it's literally we're like one minute off. We got about four minutes left in the show, and there's about five minutes left in the Monday Night Raw. So we'll see how far we're going to get. We might go off the air. Uh, before it's it's all said and done, but keep watching. This stuff is a lot of fun. We got to do more uh, watch-alongs like this. It, it's interesting because I, I just have this whole nostalgia feel watching it. But I, I look back, and this was kind of, you know, again blaming Todd Pettengill. But I kind of was starting to fall away from wrestling um, at the time, or maybe it was just that I, I was in college and you know I had other things on my mind other than pro wrestling. But here's Crush Mullet Game Strong. Yes, and how about the airbrush T-shirt game? That's pretty strong in the '90s too. A lot of airbrush T-shirts in the '90s. I totally, man. I want an airbrush crush shirt. Next time I go down to the Jersey Shore, I'm just gonna get one made up. <laughs> the Fuji, brother, I'm taking your WWF title. Fuji was awesome, man. man. My Yokozuna, it's your challenge. If you're not accept, you'll get a better redneck. <laughs> yeah, I loved Fuji. Even as a kid when he was a bad guy, I loved Fuji because he used to say the weirdest things, but it'd make me laugh. Yeah, it was tough not to. I mean, I you know, and he was great. He, he definitely like a perfect for Yokozuna in this character. Uh, great usage of, of Mr. Fuji. Um, but my favorite always with Fuji will be Fuji and Morocco. Love the two of them together. And, 
And it's similar. It's like, you know, he was a bad guy. And, and that's what I loved about, like, you know, that was one of those things where, you know, in wrestling, I think it's, it's a difficult thing uh, for guys to be able to uh, do kind of comic comedy and comic relief, but also be taken seriously. And I, and I think the team of uh, Fuji and Morocco, like one of those, those acts uh, teams, whatever that, that, that did that perfectly that when, um, when Morocco was, was in that ring, he was a force to be reckoned with. Um, Fuji outside of the ring was a guy you had to worry about. Uh, they would do some evil, heinous shit to opponents. Um, but they could still do the, the comic relief. They could still do Fuji Vice, you know, like still Mr. Fuji cutting a promo. Ricky Steamboat, you have no girlfriend. I <laughs> hilarious stuff that I think Fuji was one of those guys that really was great at balancing being comic relief, but also being a guy that really needed to be taken seriously and could do some really evil shit. As we get down to about one minute left, so I don't know how far we're going to get as far as this, uh, this broadcast, but Dave, this has been a lot of fun. It's a good idea. I'm looking forward to doing uh, some more watch along. So everyone has a very happy July 4th. Uh, but this is fun stuff, kind of strolling down memory lane. This was definitely fun. And if you're up for it, not to put you on the spot, we could do it again next week if you want. Pick something out that you want to watch, and we could do it on, on uh, next Sunday if you like. Um, I mean, I'm, you know, like we said at the beginning of the show, the current product sucks. We're taking a trip down memory lane. Why don't we keep it going? Hey, you know what? If we do a watch along, you know, check out. I mean, I'll post something on the Facebook page, facebook.com slash the Kennedy Show. Check us out over there. Um, you know, if you guys have something you'd want us to watch along with, like maybe we'll take some suggestions and uh, look at stuff as Mr. Perfect makes his way down to the ring with 14 seconds, 10 seconds left. You guys keep watching Monday Night Raw. Thank you guys for tuning in tonight. Have a great July 4th. For Dave, I'm Ken. Good night, everybody. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.